Good to see you this morning uh, as we continue. Now, next week is uh, in the front of your bulletin is going to be the Upward Sunday. Now, if you've been here when we have the Upward Celebration, it gets a little crazy. We have maybe a couple, 150 extra people here, and so we're going to present the gospel. And so if you guys can, if some of you can come to an earlier service, that would be good. If not, we'll all fit in here. We'll be fine. But pray that the Lord will just really have a freedom next week to minister life. We had about 300 uh, children participate in Upward Basketball. Incredible, incredible program. I appreciate Jim Radford, all the people. It takes an army of volunteers to pull that off. And so I get the privilege of roughing a couple games a week, but I just, I can't say enough appreciation about those who really put their time in, and it really is a wonderful program for our, our young people, our students. So we're continuing. I'm planning, my goal is to finish our series on the Holy Spirit by Easter, all right? We may not finish, but uh, we're, uh, that's my goal, all right? So Jesus said again, it's to our advantage that he goes away because he knew that God had a better plan than walking side by side with us. God's ultimate plan was to come and live in us. Now, I've got to be honest with you. This morning, my plan was to finish Romans 8. I was going to finish Romans 8 and then have a couple other things. But when I got about a few verses in, I just had to stop. I, I couldn't finish and go on in Romans 8. So I just want to share with you today, isn't it amazing how some things you know in your mind, you've read them a hundred times, but all of a sudden again, it goes from the mind to the heart, and you just have kind of one of those wild moments. And so studying the Holy Spirit has literally changed my life, maybe more than any other single thing. And so this morning, we're going to continue the process, and so I appreciate, and this is kind of a picture, we've seen this about 50 times, this is 51, <laughs> and so hopefully you remember it. Because again, this is a picture of every person before they come to know Christ. Their life is separated from God because of sin. That's true of all of us. The Bible says we've all fallen short. We've all missed the mark. And so all of us are separated from God. God created us as body, soul, and spirit. But we have a dead spirit just because it's disconnected from God. But when we invite Christ into our life, I believe the Bible teaches he comes in our spirit. That's where he comes to live. And when he comes to live inside of us, the penalty for sin is forever taken care of. The Bible says we have a right standing relationship with God. We are justified in the sight of God. I just want to give you some good news. If you're a child of God, the penalty of sin has been paid. You will never, ever answer to God because of sin because it has been paid 100%. That's why if you're having a good day or a bad day, you can always go into God's presence because the sin problem has been paid for. So 100% of the penalty of sin has been paid. But the process that we're on is dealing with the power of sin. So in our soul here is that sanctification process. The penalty of sin has been paid. But it's the power of sin that we struggle with every day of our life. And God allows us, while we're in these earth suits, God gives us the privilege of working together with him on overcoming the power of sin. As long as you're in an earth suit, the struggle will be real. As long as you're in a body, I just want you to know there's going to be a struggle in your soul from following the flesh versus following the spirit. So God allows us to participate 
in that process. But I want you to know the penalty of sin is forever taken care of. You always have a right standing relationship with God. That's very, very important. And so when we think about Romans 6, Paul says over and over in Romans 6, you are dead to sin. The power of sin, the presence of sin, the penalty of sin has been taken care of. And two things the Bible tells us to confess here in Romans 6. It's in verse 11. Two things he says we're to confess. So let's read these out loud. Number one, we're to confess, I am dead to sin and my relationship to it broken. So that's what you're to confess. You're to acknowledge you are dead to sin. The second thing we're to acknowledge, I am alive to God in unbroken fellowship with him in Christ Jesus. So you are dead to sin, you are alive to God. But the Bible says in Romans 7, the very thing we are dead to, Paul said he found himself struggling with. So if we go to Romans 7, Paul gives that passage, very, very familiar passage. He says, the things I don't want to do, I find myself doing. The things I want to do, I can't. And so he's really struggling. Romans 7, again, it, people use Romans 7. I've had people tell me, man, I'm just like Paul. I just can't do what I want to do. I'm doing what I'm not supposed to do. Romans 7 is not the definition of a Christian life. Romans 7 is the definition of the carnal Christian. They're saved. They're on their way to heaven. But they're really trying to live the Christian life without the Holy Spirit. Romans 7 is literally you doing the best you can apart from God. And you can never, ever live up to God's standard in your own strength. I brought a flashlight along today, and it doesn't have batteries in it. But how many of you know this flashlight can never, ever, ever shine without batteries? Even though it goes through a school of how to shine. Even though it has a list of all the things it needs to do to shine. Without batteries, it cannot shine. And I just want you to know, without the Holy Spirit, you can never please God. That's why God gave the, the Ten Commandments, because he knew man could never live up to the Ten Commandments. He knew that when he gave it. You say, why would he give the Ten Commandments if he knew we couldn't live up to them? Because we didn't know that. Somehow we believe if we perform enough that somehow we will live up to God's standard. It's not true. And once you get saved, not only was your flesh no good before you got saved, your flesh doesn't improve after you get saved. Literally, God does not want us to do the best we can. God doesn't want us to perform in the flesh. He wants us every day to get up and say, God, without you, I can do nothing and yet through your spirit, I can do all things. It's amazing to me that the first thing we don't teach a new Christian is how to tap into the Holy Spirit. Because God has given us his spirit to enable us to walk and please him. But without his spirit, it literally is impossible. So in Romans 8, we have, I believe, maybe the greatest chapter in the Bible on the Holy Spirit. Romans 6, we're dead to sin. Romans 7, Paul found himself in bondage to the very thing he was dead to. But again, Romans 7 is just trying to live the Christian life without the spirit. And I've spent too many days there. I've spent too many months and too many years trying to perform. Romans 7, again, is a miserable place to be. But Romans 8, there's two things you need to know about Romans 8. Two no's. No condemnation. It starts with no condemnation. It ends with no separation. As a Christian, every day you get up, there is no condemnation because the cross paid the penalty for your sin. 
God does not condemn you. You are not condemned before God. No condemnation, no separation. I don't know how many times I've heard people quote that nothing can separate us from the love of God. And the reason that's true is he lives inside of you. How can you be separated from one who lives inside of you? So every day as a believer, there's no condemnation, no separation. Every day, God is trying to teach us how to walk in Romans 8. If you're living in Romans 7, it can't be more miserable. I mean, it cannot be more miserable. Because the harder you try, the more you fail. The more you don't want to, the more you do. But when you realize that God put his spirit inside of us to enable us to do what we could not do without his spirit. So it is learning to walk in the spirit. So every day, we're either going to walk in the spirit or we're going to walk after the flesh. That's all you can do as a Christian. And again, if you're living and doing the best you can, you're in Romans 7. I mean, you're just out there trying. And for those of you in Romans 7, keep trying. Keep Work hard at it. But you're going to get burnt out because you can never, ever perform enough to please God. And so I hope that you move into Romans 8 where you learn how to walk in the Spirit, learn it's a relationship that every day the Spirit will help us put to death the deeds of the body. All right, so in Romans 8, a couple of verses we've looked at. This is really important. First of all, Paul says, those that are in the flesh, you're trying to live it by your own strength. He said, you cannot please God. He doesn't say you're not going to please God most of the time. Every day you get up and try to do it in your own strength, you are not pleasing God. Kind of sounds like we better learn to walk in the Spirit. Because every day we do it in our own strength. Paul says you cannot please God just doing better and trying harder. Somehow you've got to tap into the Holy Spirit. So he says in verse 11, he says, and also in 1 Peter 3.18, the same Spirit that raised Christ from the dead will give life to your mortal bodies. Now, my version of that, this is my translation, all right, so I put my, my version. The same spirit that raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your earth suits. You cannot do it without God. The reason God put his spirit in us is to enable us to shine, to enable us to live. That's why Jesus told the disciples, don't go anywhere. Wait for the Holy Spirit. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. He didn't want them to take one step in their own effort. He says, wait for the Holy Spirit. And I just want to encourage you, when you discover that God has given us the ability to please him by walking in the Spirit, I mean, again, this should be the first thing we teach a young believer. God has empowered you. Learn to walk in the Spirit and not allow the flesh to control your life, all right? And so I mentioned uh, last time we preached, next slide, please. You know, when you think about the law of gravity, the law of gravity says everything that's up will come down. And I mentioned this uh, Boeing 777 that weighs 766,000 pounds. The law of gravity says it can't fly. Three weeks ago, we headed to Florida, and we were running down the runway. And when you're going down that runway, you're either going to fly or you're in big trouble. And so, even though the law of gravity says there's no way that plane can fly, the law of aerodynamics supersedes it. The law of aerodynamics says that which is impossible by the law of gravity is possible. And when we're going down that runway, I was thinking about this illustration. I said, I sure hope the law of aerodynamics works because we are all committed. We are all in. 
And, and you ever notice that you don't really take off till you're at the end of the runway? That's mean. I wish we could take off in the middle of the runway just in case it didn't work. But I mean, you're all in. If that plane doesn't go up, you're going you're gonna to wreck. But the law of aerodynamics says that this plane can fly. In the same way, I love how Paul says the law of the spirit of life has set us free from the law of sin and death. What we can never do in our own strength, God enabled us to do by putting his spirit inside of us. So he put his spirit, his power in us to enable us to walk in his statutes. And we got to learn to walk in that relationship with the Holy Spirit. That's why the Bible says in Ezekiel 36, God knew all along that man could never live up to the Ten Commandments. God knew that. They were like a flashlight without batteries. But he said to him, I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes. And you will keep my judgments and do them. He says, I'm going to put my spirit in you. I'm going to give you the power to enable you to do what you could never do without me. Even in the storms of life, the next slide, even in the storms of life, same thing holds true. Nothing will ever separate you from the love of God. No matter how crazy it is out here, your relationship to God is what gets us through day by day. All right? And so in Romans 8, 12, we're going to kind of pick up the story. So as Paul has reminded us over and over, do not depend on the flesh. Learn to walk in the Spirit. And then he develops that in verse 12 when he says, So then, brothers and sisters, we have an obligation not to the flesh, our human nature, our worldliness, our sinful capacity to live according to the impulses of the flesh, our nature without the Holy Spirit. He says, we're not to give in to the flesh. We're not to let the flesh control us. Because your flesh, apart from the Spirit, can never, ever produce the righteousness of God. Never. And that's what Romans 7 is all about, trying to do it without the Spirit. And so he said, give in to the flesh. Can I just tell you, I like my flesh. I like, I want to please my flesh. When my flesh wants to sleep in and not get up early, I want to sleep in. When my flesh wants to eat that extra dessert and God says, no, I don't like that. I'm telling you, we have to every day learn that we're not here to please the flesh. And every time you choose the Spirit, your flesh will suffer. I just want to be honest. Every time you choose the Spirit, your flesh will suffer. You're going to swallow some pride. But when you choose the Spirit, instead of letting your flesh control you, all of a sudden you begin to experience the life of God. It's crazy. But God wants us to be in that process. I mean, God is allowing us, while we're in these earth suits, we're in that process of every day learning to trust His Spirit, learning how to deny ourselves and how to say yes to God. That's why Paul said, I die daily. I think he wanted to do some things in the flesh that God didn't want him to do. Your flesh will suffer if you choose to walk in the Spirit. But you're saying to God, I want to please you over just pleasing my flesh. So the flesh has to be controlled. Verse uh, 13 says, for if you live according to the impulses of the flesh, if you let the flesh control you, you're going to die. You're, you're just going to feel separated from God. You're going to be miserable. But if you are living by the power of the Holy Spirit, you are habitually putting to death the sinful deeds of the body. You will really live forever. 
It's when you begin to deny yourself when it comes to following God. When God tells you to get up 10 minutes early and you choose to get up early, your flesh is going to hate you. But when you choose to, to listen to God, all of a sudden you begin to experience the life of God. When you choose, and I, can I tell you, I'm the worst. I, I, I've had the worst diet probably ever. I mean, I grew up on nachos and cheese as a, a bachelor. There's got to be some nutrition in nachos and cheese or I wouldn't have made it. Not healthy. I mean, I have the greatest diet plan. I have the greatest exercise plan in the world. I just haven't implemented it yet. How many of you have a good diet plan, good exercise plan, you just don't get around to it? That's the flesh. The flesh says, I don't want to exercise. If there's anybody that's inexcusable for exercise, it's me. We have a gym right across the street from the parking lot from the, from the church. I could just walk over there every day and walk. And for eight years, I've been planning on doing that. But my flesh says, you're tired. You need a nap. You don't want to exercise. How many of you have a problem with the flesh? Oh, yeah. Yeah, we don't like to think about it. You all look so spiritual. But I'm just telling you, to deny yourself, Paul said he buffeted his body, not buffeted his body. I used to always think that was, he, he buffeted his body daily. I thought, man, I'm all into that. I don't like to deny myself. But when you begin to walk in the Spirit, you're going to begin to say no to, to the flesh. Your flesh will suffer. But again, as your flesh suffers, all of a sudden you begin to experience the life of God. He's given us that privilege of working together with him to learn to trust him. To learn to trust him. So verse 14 says, For all who are allowing themselves to be led by the Spirit of God are the sons or the children of God. One of the ways you can know that you know that you know Jesus is when you're no longer allowing your flesh to control you, you begin to walk in the Spirit. That's how you know. When your light begins to shine, you got to have batteries. When you begin to shine for God, the only way you can do that is allow His Spirit to flow through you. One of the ways you can know that you know that you know Jesus is when no longer your flesh is controlling everything about your daily life. That God is beginning to shine through and you're beginning to follow the Spirit. All right, uh, Romans 8.15 says, this is, this is the verse where I really put the brakes on. Man, I was doing good. I was going to get through Romans 8. I was going to do it until I got to this verse. This verse caused me to not finish Romans 8. Paul says, for you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. I've read that a hundred times. I've preached this dozens of times. You've received the adoption that we would cry out, Abba, Father. You know, adoption is an amazing thing. The fact that we're adopted into God's family, I, I've known that in my brain. I've taught it. I've, I've preached it. But all of a sudden, it dawned on me, I am really adopted into God's family. Listen to what John says in 1 John 3, 1. He says, Behold what manner of love the Father hath bestowed on us that we should be called the children of God. Can I tell you the one person, the last person on the earth that deserves to be called a child of God is me. What manner of love the Father hath bestowed on us that he would call us his children. 
You know, adoption, people have said to me many times over the years, is it possible to love an adopted child as much as you love a natural child? Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Somebody came out of the middle service and said they had adopted, their oldest child was adopted, and they said before they finalized everything, the judge asked them three times, are you sure you want to sign these papers? And they said, absolutely. Three times the judge said, are you sure? And they finally said, why do you keep asking? Because the judge said, once you sign those papers, you cannot unadopt them. They're yours for life. I want to tell you, you're adopted into the family of God. He loves you as his child. So people have said to me, I've had people say, well, we're all God's children. How many of you ever heard, we're all God's children? Well, we are in the sense that we're all created by God. That's true. We are all made in the image of God, but we're not all God's children. The Jews said to Jesus in John chapter 8, we have one Father, God. We're all, we all have one Father. Jesus said, let me correct you. Jesus said, if God were your Father, you would love me. And then he went on to say, this, I mean, he, I would have stopped right there, but Jesus just went ahead and laid them out. He said, your father's the devil, and the desires of your father you want to do. How many of you think he didn't get an amen? I don't think he got an amen. He said, your father's the devil. Can I tell you, you're either a, a child of God, you're either your father's your heavenly father, your Abba, or he's, you're following the devil. And by the way, he used that word, Abba, Father. It's an Aramaic word. We've talked about it before. But literally, just means Dada, Papa. How many of you loved it when your kids said, Mama, Dada? Oh, yeah. Even in Israel today, if you see a child lost in the busy streets of Jerusalem, that little child will cry out, Abba, Abba, Abba. Just cry, Abba. And I think, who could hear that kid? Well, Abba did. Because the dad would find him. I can remember when our, our children, I think they said dad, dad before they said mama, but Brenda says the other way around, but I don't know. <laughs> By the way, Rhett, our grandson, nine months old, I have to confess, he is not saying papa yet, all right? He has said mama and dada. I'm hoping he says papa before he says mama. But anyway, we don't know. <laughs> I'm just, I'm not. It's, it's totally in the flesh, totally in the flesh. <laughs> but you know, when you got saved, can I tell you, God wants you to refer to him as Abba Father, Dada. Can I tell you, my kids have never feared me, I don't think. They have feared Brenda a couple times. And I think I've shared this story, but Courtney got in trouble. The first year we were here, she got kicked out of VBS. The only kid I've ever known got kicked out of VBS was my daughter. She was three years old. And it was a lady who was just a visitor. She was working in the three-year-olds, and she was at a military background, and she wanted everybody to toe the line. But I did talk to the other workers, and they said, she's really being hard on a couple kids, and one of them is your daughter. And one day she said to Courtney, that's it, you're out of the class, I am taking you to your father. And so she marched her right down to me. We were standing right here, right outside the fellowship hall. She marched her down, she began to tell me, my daughter was not complying to her rules and regulations. I looked down and Courtney's just looking up, grinning. <laughs> How many of you know she wasn't in trouble? 
And so I tried to keep my composure. I said to the woman, I will take care of it. I will take care of it. And so she marched off knowing that I was going to beat Courtney. After she marched off, I got down on my knees. I gave Courtney a big hug and said, I love you. I've got kicked out of a couple things myself. (laughs) Now, I've got to confess to you that I probably show more grace than I should. But my kids have never called me pastor. They've never called me reverend. Just call me dad. And I want to tell you, yeah, we should reverence God, but he wants us to call him Abba, Father. You know, little children have such a way of feeling loved. When a little child comes up and says, Mama, Dad, Dad, I don't know of a parent or a grandparent that could say, I don't have time right now. Man, when they reach up those little hands and say, Mama, Dad, Dad, I want to tell you, God loves you. You've been adopted into the family. You're not just a servant. You're not just somebody that's going to make it to heaven by the skin of your teeth. You are a child of God. Your heavenly Father owns it all. And he's living inside of us. How crazy is that? When I was driving here today, this morning, I just had kind of a wrestle with God. I said, God, how is it even possible to share that? How is it possible to share that we have been adopted into your family? It seems impossible. Well, adoption, if we can look at the word itself, the Greek word, Paul uses it five times in the New Testament to sonship our children. It's a term referring to the full legal standing of an adopted son or daughter heir chosen by a family in Roman culture. So when they choose to adopt, that person has full rights to the family. They are literally, and that's what this lady in the middle service said, when I signed over that we were adopting this child, we were saying that everything we have belongs to them. They are a rightful heir to all that we have. I want to show you my brother's uh, family. This is about 10 years ago, so it's two grandchildren short. But Josh and Jason here were adopted as babies. I can remember when my brother found out they were getting to adopt these two children. Uh, They kind of came simultaneous. They're from two different families. But I want to say this, that Jason and Josh, once they were adopted into the Johnson family, they're as much a part of the family tree as me. My brother and sister-in-law could not love them anymore. And I want to tell you, when my brother and sister-in-law pass away, They're going to inherit everything my brother and sister-in-law have. Can you believe? They didn't even put me in the will. Isn't that sad? I'm the younger brother. They might leave me some debt. I don't know. But can I tell you, they could not love Jason and Josh more. When people ask, can an adopted child be loved as much as a a natural-born child? Absolutely. Absolutely. 100%. No difference. And we've been adopted into the family of God. That's why John says, what manner of love that God has bestowed on us that we should be called the children of God. That's crazy. It's crazy to think that God of this universe has adopted us as his children. 
a little girl, a teacher, a teacher was asking the students if they knew what adoption was, and I love this definition. I don't know if it's in your notes or not, but you should write it down. The little girl says, I can tell you what adoption is. I've been adopted. My mother said it's when a child grows in your heart instead of your tummy. That's good. You write that down. That's good. I'm telling you, adoption, man, is so real. By the way, let me just ask, how many of you here have been affected by adoption, maybe in your immediate family, maybe your children, grandchildren, somebody very close to you is either adopted, maybe you've been adopted. Would you just stand just for a second? And, and I'm one of those standing. So when we think about adoption, if you look around, it affects almost every single family in one, in one way or another. And you may be seated. So Ephesians 1 says this, you know, we are in the heart of God. Listen to what Ephesians 1 says. Paul says this, he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. Isn't that crazy? My brother and my sister-in-law chose Josh and Jason before they even were aware of it. And the Bible says God chose us to be in his family from the foundation of the world, before the foundation of the world. You were on the heart of God. And God knew one day you would be part of the family. You grew in the heart of God, and he wanted to adopt us into his family. He says he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love, having predestined us to the adoption as sons or children by Jesus Christ to himself according to the good will or good pleasure of his will. Can I tell you more than anybody here, I'm most surprised that God chose me. I really am surprised that God chose me. God chose you. And we're a part of the family of God. He chose us from the foundation of the world. He had us in his heart. And he all along, he wanted to adopt us. Now people say, well, which is it? Is it us choosing God or is it God choosing us? Yes. I think God chooses us. But I think we choose him. Charles Spurgeon said it the best that I've ever heard. Charles Spurgeon said this, I believe in the doctrine of election. I'm quite sure that if God had not chosen me, I never would have chosen him. I'm sure God chose me before I was born because he never would have chosen me afterwards. <laughs> Can anybody identify? Of all the people that make it to heaven, none is going to surprise more people than me. I could not have lived a more worldly life in my teen years. I could not have been more involved in all the crud the world was involved in than me. I went to church Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. But man, I was involved with drugs, alcohol. I was doing everything. I even sold some drugs. I could not have lived a more horrific life during my teen years. And there's no doubt when people see me in heaven... I'm going to get a lot of, wow. I had no idea God could do that. And this week when I got to these verses, I just had to stop. To think that God chose me before the foundation of the world. That God wanted me in the family. That's grace. That's grace. 
So it goes on a couple more verses here, Romans 8, 16. The Spirit himself testifies and confirms together with our spirit, assuring us that we believers are the children of God. One of the ways you can know that you know that you know Jesus is if the Spirit of God testifies to your spirit, you're his. And some of you maybe on the way home, all of a sudden it's going to dawn on you that you are a child of the King. That God has chosen you to be in the family. When it really dawns on you and moves from the head to the heart, you're going to have to pull over and have a spell. You literally be blown away. You know, if you go into work tomorrow and say, hey, I just discovered yesterday I am a child of the king. He's adopted me into his family. Woo, he loves me. They're going to think you came in drunk. But it's true. It's true. Verse 18, verse 17, two more verses. If we are his children, then we, oh, this is crazy. Another crazy verse. If we are his children, then we are his heirs also. Heirs of God, fellow heirs with Christ, sharing his spiritual blessing and inheritance. There's nobody here that would not say that Christ owes it all. All belongs to Christ. He is above all. He is all. All things are subject to Christ. He is the King of kings and Lord of lords. None of us would deny that. But the Bible says because we're his children, because we've been adopted into the family of God, we are heirs of God, joint heirs with Christ. That's crazy. Not only is he king of kings and lord of lords, he wants to share all of his inheritance with his children. I think y'all are going to be doing pretty good on the other side. Yeah, it's going to be good on the other side. We're joint heirs with Christ. How, how, how amazing is that? That he's willing to share all that he is. I love in the, in the book of Revelation, chapters 2 and 3, he gives a promise to the overcomers, to each of the churches. And to the church at Laodicea in chapter 3, he says, to those who overcome, I'm going to allow to sit on my throne with me as the Father allowed me to sit on his throne. So when you get to heaven, someday you're going to see Roger scooshing down next to Jesus on the throne. And you're going to, you're going to say, wow. He wanted his kingdom. You're a joint heir with Christ. How can it be any better? And yet some of us walk through life as paupers when I just want to tell you, yeah, life is hard. Life is not easy. This struggle in the soul is very real, but it's temporary. One day we're going to step out of these earth suits. One day we're going to be reunited to God. One day we're going to discover that everything God has belongs to us as his children. It's no wonder that we throw our crowns before the throne. It's no wonder we bow face down before the Lord in worship. You know, the Bible says there's 30 minutes of silence in heaven. That's probably some evidence that pastors may not make it. I don't know. But I think that 30 minutes of silence, why 30 minutes of silence? I think we're going to be so blown away. That God not only loved us, not only adopted us into his family, but he's given us his inheritance. How do you share that? It seems impossible. I could not go past these verses. I had to stop and just think about the amazing love 
of God. He goes on to say, if our sense, and we went to the next slide, so I will go to the next slide. For I consider from the standpoint of faith that the suffering of the present life are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is about to be revealed to us and in us. One day I'm going to step out of this earth suit. One day the struggle will be over. But as long as I'm alive, God allows that struggle to happen so that, again, every day we live, we're getting the privilege of learning to, to follow the Spirit and deny the flesh. But one day we're going to eject out of these earth suits. One day we're going to see God face to face, and it's all going to become real on that day. And so one more time, I think the click of the, the button there. One day we're going to step out of these earth suits one day we're going to embrace Jesus face to face. One day there's going to be no more sorrow, no more suffering, no more pain, no more death. But as long as we're in the earth suit, as a, as a Christian, your, your penalty for sin has been paid. You've been adopted into the family. And we have a process every day of learning to walk in the spirit and deny the flesh. And one day you'll hear that Roger Johnson has died. Don't believe it. Don't believe it. Just believe that I've ejected out of my earth suit. And I'm in the presence of God. You know, there's a song that the Gaithers used to sing years ago. One more slide there. Called The Family of God. It's an old song. That's probably why I remember it. But uh, the chorus of it says, I'm so glad I'm a part of the family of God. I've been washed in the fountain, cleansed by his blood. Join heirs with Jesus as we travel this sod, for I'm part of the family, the family of God. Say, why do we gather on Sunday? You could hear a lot better preaching at home. There's, there's some amazing preaching on TV. The reason we come together is because God designed this thing as a family. And we're all a work in progress. There, there's nobody that has it all together. But God is teaching us how to love one another as his children. He's teaching us the process of learning to deny the flesh and say yes to the spirit. It's a lifetime process. But I'm glad God designed it where we need each other. I got to watch, when we were in Florida, I got to, we, we live streamed the service both Sundays we were down there, and it was good. I enjoyed it. It's not like being here. It's not like being here. I could turn off Bob when I wanted to and just go through something else. That was kind of cool. But you know, there's something about being here and just, people say, why do you go to church? Why would you bother? I mean, I, 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 that pastor's a mess. Because God created us as a family. So I want us just to sing this. I want us to stand if we can. If you're here today and you've never trusted Christ as your Savior, I can't imagine one person walking out of here today not knowing that they know that they know Jesus. To know that your sin has separated you from God, to ask God to forgive you and to come into your life, and I believe He will honor that. Right where you are, your whole life can change if you'll say yes to him. I believe there's a lot of believers here today that are living in Romans 7. You're just exhausted in the Christian life. You're just tired of trying. 
And the more you try, the more you fail. I hope that today God will move you out of Romans 7 into Romans 8 and begin to tap into the Holy Spirit, begin to walk in the Spirit every day. I hope every day this week you'll get up and just say, Abba, Father, thank you for loving me. Thank you for adopting me into your family. I thank you that I'm an heir of all that you are. If that doesn't amaze you, you haven't got it yet. You ought to be pretty amazed that you're an heir to God. He loves you. So let's sing this together. And if you feel like if you pray to invite Christ into your life, you can slip out and come and just say, I prayed that prayer. Or maybe you're here as a believer and just need someone to pray with you or pray for you. We would love to do that. But let's just celebrate the way God designed this thing. And let's sing together the family of God.
go to bed tonight, I hope you'll reread Romans 8, kind of look over the notes. And I hope you don't go to bed tonight before just lifting your hands and just saying, Abba, Father, thank you for adopting me into your family. And just teach us to walk every day, walking in the Spirit and not allowing the flesh to control us. It's a process. It's a process. I love you guys. Hope you have the most amazing week ever. And I hope it moves from our head to our heart and we really realize that we are adopted into God's family. That's crazy. Let's pray and then we're going to close out with a song. Father, thank you for your love and faithfulness. And Lord, I just thank you, Abba, Father, that you care about every detail of our life. Thank you for allowing us to help in the process of learning to walk in the Spirit and deny our flesh. And even though it's really, really hard, it is a process that's worth it. So fill us with your Spirit, and I pray that all of your children will just be allowed <laughs> that river of living water to spill out everywhere they go this week. Help us to make a difference. In Jesus' name, amen. Bye.